Greetings and welcome to episode four of the Chirping the Cats podcast. I'm your host, David Dwork, and on this episode, I'm going to focus on a couple of big-bodied forwards that are playing really well in Coach Joel Quenville's system, and later on, I've also got a great chat with uh, legendary Panthers defenseman Ed Jovanovsky, but uh, the first thing I want to talk about today is the changing of the culture around the Panthers and the direct influence that head coach Joel Quenville is having on that culture. Now, what makes this team different from previous years? To put it simply, they're finishing. When past teams would fold down the stretch of games, this team never says die. You hear it from the players in the locker room, nobody panics, nobody gets worried if they're down a goal or two in the third period. It's a calm on the bench. There's a real belief that the people on the team are going to step up, and they really have been. And when you think about past Panthers teams in recent years, forget about coming back in the third period. There were teams that had problems holding leads, and it's just not a problem anymore with, uh, with this Joel Quenville coach club. Another good thing about it is you can see the momentum starting to build. The team is still lacking in con- consistency, and admittedly so, but they're able to overcome all the issues that they've been having, and that's thanks to this extremely deep roster, and we've seen it now through the first month or so of the season where the scoring from top to bottom is coming from whether it's top-line forwards, fourth-line wingers, defensemen, everybody's getting in on it. And pretty soon we're going to see Bobrovsky taking shots at empty nets the way this team is scoring goals. Now, when we speaking of the team's depth, the first player that I want to talk about this week is the newest Panther on the roster, and that's Brian Boyle. Since arriving in Florida, Boyle has become an imperative part of Florida's defensive zone coverage, playing five on five. He's getting some power play time as well, but I think the key eventually is going to be on the penalty kill, which is going to play a huge role, I think, as the season goes on and he gets a little bit more acclimated to the way that Florida runs their special teams. Now, his play below the faceoff dots in both zones has been great. I mean, talk about a welcomed addition to the team. Offensively, he's making plays and creating havoc in front of the net. He had a great screen on Jonathan Huberto's tying goal in Colorado in that amazing comeback win. And, and since arriving in Florida, now this is key, Boyle has won 56% of his faceoffs. Was that sustainable over the entire season? You know, we'll wait and see. But six games and 50 total faceoffs, sure, it's not the biggest sample size. But it's a great start for Boyle on a team that could really use the help in the faceoff circle. The only regular Panther centerman who has won more than 50% of their faceoffs is Sasha Barkov. He's got 54.4% uh, this season through the Detroit game. Vincent Trocek, before he left the lineup, he was at 46%. Nolachari, who's taken the second most faceoffs behind Barkov on the team, 47.2%. And a couple other guys that have taken a decent amount of faceoffs are Jonathan Huberto and Dennis Mulligan both of whom have taken over 50 face-offs, neither of whom have won more than 40% of them. So you can see where the team could really use the help in that area. Now, overall, Boyle just adds a dimension to this team that they've been waiting to have for a while now. You think back to guys like Nick Bugstad and Jimmy Hayes, big forwards that Florida was hoping would be able to provide that physical element and still produce offensively like they did momentarily, it seems like. But with Boyle, you know exactly what you're getting and he's going to bring the consistency. He's going to bring that veteran leadership. It's just such a great move, and it's awesome that he chose to come to Florida. He had his options, and he wanted to come to this team, and you're already seeing why it's such a good fit, and I can't wait to see how it progresses as the year goes on. Another big-bodied guy that's playing very well in a forward role, surprisingly, is uh, Mark Pissick. He's been logging minutes as a a third-line winger, and lately he's been receiving a lot of praise from uh, Quenville for his efforts. 
he said recently that Pissick instantly looked like he was comfortable playing forward, which it's kind of hard to argue with that because while we knew it wasn't his natural position, all we've seen him do is play defense. It's all he's done since he was a kid. There wasn't really any issue with him sliding in there. He wasn't making any monumental mistakes. He was actually playing very sound defensive hockey as a forward, which is exactly what Quenville wants. And the more you think about it and the more you watch him play there, it makes a lot of sense. Since being slotted in on that third line, he's been positionally sound. He's been really solid on the boards as well. Quinville also mentioned his awareness and that he's made some really good reads. All in all, it's been an extremely smooth transition for Pissick to play forward, and it's interesting because he may have found himself a role on this team as a jack-of-all-trades. Regardless of position, playing sound defensive hockey will get you ice time playing for Joel Quinville. And while we're on the topic of Pissick, the line Vetrano, Maldi, and Pissick has been getting better and better. They had their best game by far against the Red Wings when they combined for a pair of assists and a plus three rating. And it's just an interesting mix of players when you think about it, because Vetrano might be the fastest guy in the team. And when he backchecks, I have yet to see him unsuccessfully chase somebody down. It's really remarkable how quick he is. And with Maldon, we've talked about it before. Maldon, he's coming into his own. He's figuring out how to be that everyday NHL player. And you know what? He's showing up game after game, which was the problem with Maldon in past years. One game he'd be there, one game he'd disappear. Not the case right now exceptional when you think about who he's playing with. This line that was just kind of thrown together that includes a defenseman, suddenly Florida's third line, it's starting to come along. I'm chatting with Pissick after the Panthers' most recent practice, and he was quick to give all the credit to his line mates, and he was saying how, like, setting up on face-offs, they're quick to let him know where he needs to be, and there was just an instant comfort level there between Pissick, Mulligan, and Vetrano, and you're starting to see the fruits of their labor as that line is really starting to click. Now, when I asked Quenville about the Lions chemistry, he was quick to point to Pissick and his instincts always being in the right spot, how he adds a bit of a defensive mindset to that line. And he even commented on Pissick playing above the puck a lot and using nifty little plays, cues words, not mine, to protect the puck. And when you combine that defensive mindset of Pissick with the offensive guys, as I just said, it makes a lot of sense. And I really am going to be curious to see how this line, if they stay together once Vincent Trocek is uh, inserted back into the lineup. So we really just have to wait and see what happens. But I'm excited to see what they can do in the meantime. Another reason that this is a good thing is that it allows Florida to keep guys like Owen Tippett and Henrik Bordstrom, who are playing very well right now in Springfield in the AHL, keep them down there, let them build that confidence, let them gain that scoring ability playing as professionals, and then when they come back up to Florida, they'll be that much more ready. But since we don't need them right now, let them do their thing down there. Look how many goals Florida is scoring. These are all such good things happening with this team right now, and Panthers fans should just sit back and enjoy it because you've got an extremely deep team at the NHL level, and you've got multiple players in Springfield that are just dying to get called up and prove their mark in the NHL. And the fact that Florida can let them stay there and get that much more prepared when the NHL call-up comes, the future is bright with this team. It's just fun to think about. Now, speaking of fun, I got a chance to sit down with legendary Panthers defenseman and current broadcaster Ed Jovanoski, the Jovo Cop. And uh, I hope you enjoy listening to this interview as much as I enjoyed sitting down and chatting with him. So here you go. All right, we're back here on the Chirping the Cats podcast with Florida Panthers legendary defenseman and current broadcaster, Ed Jovanoski. Ed, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Yeah, David, no problem. Pleasure. Uh, I wanted to just get right into what I'm dying to talk to you about, and that's just kind of like historically Panthers talk. 
coming in first overall pick. You come from an area in Windsor that's like very hockey, hockey, hockey all the time. A lot of history there. Original six fans there. It's either Red Wings or uh, or Maple Leafs, right in Windsor. Right. So going from that first overall pick, you go to a team from Florida of all places that you know coming in is just the second year. Like, what's your mind at going going from a hockey hotbed growing up to Florida? Well, I, I think f- for me having. It wasn't so much where kind of Florida was picking. I mean, they were picking number one, and I think for me, as a young player wanting to be drafted, uh, foot in the NHL, um, what we all work for. You know, Florida was the team picking number one at the time, so I think as a kid, it was always a dream. You know what? It wasn't actually always a dream. I, I think for me, I never thought of the number one pick overall growing up as a kid. Um, for me, it was just... At a certain age, at 11, when I started playing hockey, a few years later, yeah, I felt that I had, you know, the dreams of playing in the NHL. But, you know, Canada is, you're right. I mean, it's eat, sleep, breathe kind of hockey. And and coming to, to Florida, um, you know, where you think of the beaches, um, you know, flip-flops. Not hockey. Um, not hockey. <laughs> But, you know, that first year for us, we, you know, we changed that. You know, my first year going to the finals, obviously, and I'm sure we're going to touch on it, um, really changed the outlook on hockey here. I mean, for for me, I'm the perfect example of that because I was 12, 13 years old that season, and that was my first, like, really getting into hockey. And after that, it was playing street hockey every day and watching the Panthers all the time. So I'm sure, you know, there's plenty of other people out there just like me that just watched that team. I was like, oh, my God, this is so much fun. And you know, it helped that you guys were winning so much. Right. I, you know, it's funny you say that because I've got to know a few people in, in town and, um, you know, a few years younger than I am, but I, they remember, you know, their, their high school teachers giving him the kind of day off, say, hey, the, the, the Panthers are playing today, you know, go gear up for the game. So uh, it was, yeah, it was one of those magical runs that really kind of changed the outlook of hockey here in South Florida. And it was good to see the minor hockey's picked up. Um, you know, rinks are going up or talks of rinks are, are continually going up. So it was a good for, you know, for this area. Now, when you come in as a rookie and you join that team, weren't any superstars on that team, just a ton of guys that were putting in so much hard work. So as a young guy, like, how does that set up your career? Like, you come in and that's what, that's the dressing room you're thrown into. Just put your head down and work your ass off. Yeah. I think it's it, it was you know John Van Beesburg had some you know great years. I think if we're gonna look at one guy as being a you know a star in the league, I think probably was the the Beezer. But you're right, it was a lot of guys. It was expansion made up team uh, with a couple draft pick, draft picks. Obviously myself, Niedermeyer, these guys that were drafted by Florida. You know, it was kind of a lunch pail group. You know, and I think you know for me coming into that environment, knowing that. You know, you're not going to be this prima donna coming in here. I mean, these guys really work to get where they are today, um, you know, as far as that season. And they really, you know, showed me how to be a pro. I mean, the the day in, day out, uh, work ethic, practice, kind of carrying yourself on and off the ice. So um, having, you know, as a young player, the the ability to kind of see kind of what a Brian Scrulin, what a, you know, Mellon B, Tom Fitzgerald, you know, how these guys prepare, um, you know, kind of set the tone for me kind of moving forward. 
Now, you talked about that that playoff run, obviously. I mean, when I'm thinking about it, a couple of memories pop out. Obviously, Billy's goal. But, I mean, one thing that I always, one of the first things I think of is the overtime goal we scored at home against Philly. I believe it was Dave Lowry that tipped it in. But the celebration afterwards, everybody's piling on. I just see your face sticking right. out of the pile, just, like, so happy. So I, it's for, from your perspective, like, what are your memories that stick out when you just think about that season? Yeah, dude, there's so many. I, I, I think – you know, you're a teenager at the time and you're like, you're kind of going through all this. And, you know, obviously, um, I had, I had a good buddy of mine that passed away during that Boston series. And I said, I would, uh, you know, get a goal. So I don't know what game it was. I think it was game one or two. I know we were at home and, you know, obviously Billy's goal, um, in the Philly series, kind of my matchup with, with Lindros, I mean, kind of having that young, not knowing any different mentality, just kind of crashing and banging into him and try to stop, slow him down. Um, yeah, I remember that goal when, you know, Pye tipped it in front of the net. I mean, it was came to the point, it was kind of a quick drag, um, little quick little shot to the net and with a good deflection. But, you know, these, these moments, like you know, can, you know, could go the other way. So anytime I think they go your way, you celebrate it and – and feed off it, and it was a great series that Philly won. Uh, you mentioned going toe to toe with Lindros, and it's actually so, the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Like again, a rookie, so much happening in your rookie season, and for that kind of responsibility. And at that point, I, that was kind of like the pinnacle of his career. He was like the guy at that point. He was huge and he was fast, and and you really did a good job shutting him down for the most part that series. It wasn't something, you know, honestly, it wasn't something coming in. Uh, to the series and the coaching staff, okay, Jovo, your matchup is going to be, you know, 88 on the other side. You know, for me, it was just, I think I ended up getting caught out on a shift with him and, and I had, and we just matched up well. You know, I think for him, for, for the Big E, I think for him, he's not really going to try to dangle you one-on-one. -on -one. He's going to try to outmuscle you. And I think that just you know played into my game and it was a really good series for me but yeah it was it wasn't something I'm you know was going out there and okay I'm gonna smash you know biggie and I'm gonna do this you know for me it was about winning and doing whatever it takes to win a game whether it's you know hitting him any chance I can or contribute offensively but uh, yeah I remember that series man it was you know going into Philly and just getting booed, people throwing shit at you. I mean, it was uh, the spectrum. I mean, that yeah, place was, it was a yeah. This this was old time hockey. So, but it was nice to experience it at a young age. Well, and the Philly series and then the Pittsburgh series after that, two things always stand out to me, and that was they both featured goalie fights, which are rare enough. But in the playoffs, I mean, we're probably never going to see that again. Right. Uh, you're going to have to refresh my memory. It was Beezer and Hextall against Philly. And then Beezer and Barrasso went after the end of game one or two. Yeah, you know, those are rare, like you said. And, and I don't know what kind of sparked that. You know, it's been a while. But, you know, anytime you're, you're part of a game where you see a goalie fight, you kind of love it. <laughs> I mean, you rarely see it. So, I mean, that's the emotion that the playoffs, you know, bring. I, I, I'm probably going to go on a limb. I'm going to go on a limb and say you probably won't see goalie fights in the playoffs kind of <laughs> moving forward. No. Um, you know, but it, it's, hey, you know, the motions are high at that moment. And, you know, to be honest with you, I, I don't know what sparked the fight. 
but um, you know, as a player, you love it. That was a great series too, because you got Lemieux and Yager. I mean, really, you look, go up and down that lineup, and you look back after, and you're like, shit, how did we do it? Like literally, you look at our lineup. You look at this Hall of Fame lineup, and I know personally for myself. It wasn't the great series. It didn't match up well for me, you know, with, you know, Rhett Warner had an unbelievable series. Um, you know, I was kind of chipping into that 5-6 spot because those top four guys were really kind of took it and played solid minutes. Well, you're also a bit more of an offensive guy at that point too in Pittsburgh with so many skill guys. Right. I mean, you always, you, you want to take care of your own end. But for some reason, I think just right from the get-go on that series – it was kind of a different series for me, like Boston, you know, versus like Boston or Philly. It was just they matched up. They did those little give and go plays that kind of, you know, if you're kind of off your game the slightest, they can make you look bad. So, but we had those four guys that were main horses that series that was that, you know, really did a good job defending those guys. You had some crazy playoff series just throughout your career, just going, you know, moving into Vancouver now. I mean, you had a couple series against Detroit in back-to-back years, especially that one. I think it was 0-2 where you guys went up 2-0, yeah. and then there was, like, the goals from center ice. And, I, I, like, what is that? Like, to go through stuff like that year after year, and especially in Vancouver, like, you're, you're looking at it as a leader at that point. Yeah, that was, that was um, you know, we had some solid teams in Vancouver, and I, I think, you know, look at that series. And, you know, look out through my career. I've played Detroit so many times in the first round that, you know, and it's a matchup you don't want. Cause Phoenix in, also. And <laughs> Phoenix also as well. But, uh, you, yeah, you're right. We went into Detroit, you know, took care of, uh, you know, the first two games. And when we were back in Vancouver, I believe it was – a 0-0 or 1-1 game seconds before the second period expired. And there comes Nick Lidstrom coming down center ice. Just tees one up and the puck j- dips. And it finds a way to be Cloutier. And it just Cloutier. literally just sunk us. You it's know, amazing every, how one goal can change the momentum of, of like right. a whole series. Right. And, it, and it's, some, it's sad to say that that you know, was the defining moment in that series because there was so much more hockey to play. But listen, little things like that, you know, can can get in a goalie's head. Um, I hate to admit it, but I get, you know, I play goals, so like, right. I get so, it. I mean, you know, goalies are like mental to. midgets, you know. There's, it's like... Why do you think we like fighting so much? <laughs> so, yeah, it was, um, you know, for, for, for me having the to face Detroit so many times and my my record against them not very good well at that point I mean few teams had a good record against Detroit they, that right. that was like them being amazing I mean you had them in I mean I'm just looking at what I had here you had them in Vancouver twice in a row you had them in Phoenix twice in a row seven game series right and that yeah, I remember that game in that seven that seventh game we actually had it in our building because game six at the Joe um, it was an afternoon game and we got up in the morning, had our breakfast as pregame, and uh, Tip, our coach, was, you know, discussing something pregame, and I literally just got up and I threw my guts out right in the middle of the room in the garbage pails Jeez. that are in the room, and um, he looks at me, he's like, okay, Jovo, you're ready to go. <laughs> I was sick as a dog. I don't know what it was, food poisoning or whatever the case may be. I was just... You know, 101 fever, 102 fever, nope. throwing up. Anyway, we end up winning the game. We go back home. We have game seven in our building. 
Um, the display of hockey that I saw from Detroit that game from the bench, I was in awe. I mean, I was watching Nicholas. I think they kicked their ass six or seven two. It was, um, you know, they just put it into championship mode. Wow. And it was a difficult night for us. I mean, for Phoenix, too, at that time, I believe that was like a 50-win season for you guys after you hadn't really done much for a few years. I know the first couple of years you were there, you kind of helped build it up, build it up. And then after that, you come come back to Florida, and it's a similar situation. Florida right. hadn't been in the playoffs in 12 years. And you come here your first year, and boom, bring them right back to that playoff. I, that must yeah, have been pretty it was, nice. You know, Phoenix was, you know, everyone has their kind of different ways on building teams. I, I think the reason I signed in, in Phoenix was they were a veteran team, and on paper it looked like they had a team to, to have success. We didn't. Uh, brought in Dave Tippett and – who right now is doing a great job in, in Edmonton. He's one of the best coaches I've ever played for. Um, yeah, we had, we had good years. It just, you know, made the playoffs three straight years. And same thing here, signing here. And, uh, you know, after Phoenix, it was 14. What year did I sign here? I 2011? 2011. I stopped in 14. But I'm saying, like, coming back and seeing that playoff run that we had, it's kind of a – you know, shitty outcome for us in the overtime, but the excitement in the building. So for me now, you know, doing some TV work, um, wanting the team just, you know, to be a playoff team. Right. This area needs it. They want it. They've starved it for a while. So the guys recognize that, and they want to get to the dance. And when you get to dance, anything can happen. Now, and you talked about that year 2011-12, like that – atmosphere in the building was amazing but I don't know how much you know how bad it was after you left until that year when there were some years where it was just quiet and there was right. nobody coming and it was it was tough because of so much turnover and all the coaches so for you to come back and for that year to happen and since then it's been you know ebbs and flows but certainly not what we had to deal with from 2000 to 2010. Yeah, yeah I think when once you when you you know now you have the stability you have the ownership um, you bring in a coach that's that's you know won championships that's got a resume. You have that long term, or you have the stability. You can kind of get guys in free agency, and you're hey, listen. I got the coach. You build around a goaltender. You have a great core of guys. So everything's kind of coming together. Where not only you want the product on the ice, which most importantly to be great is come off season time you can actually attract players and you know what i'm hearing you know around the league is is florida is one of those spots where you guys believe in the team uh for the next handful of years and obviously it's a great place to play you saw an example of it in the last couple of weeks with brian boyle he had a couple of teams wanting to come he said i want to go to florida and so far it's been a pretty good fit yeah he's pl he's played well He's played well, and he's a big body in front of the net. A guy that's had tons of playoff experience, so he's going to help out with that. I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, he's playing. He can teach some of these young guys kind of the ins and outs of some, you know, some things. And, and for him, um, he's played in Tampa, so he understands the, uh, you know, the whole environment thing with playing in, in, a, in a sunny spot. So he was a good addition for the team. Now you mentioned Quenville, like, you have an interesting perspective as you played against him when he was coaching in St. Louis and Colorado, and now you come here. So you know what he's trying to do with this team. How, from your perspective, like, does it look like it's coming along nicely? Is the team starting to grasp like a Quenville-type system? 
think so. I, I you know, losing a, he was the assistant coach in Colorado when they beat us here in in in, uh, in, in Miami. Um, having the resume, I mean, the guy's you know just a proven winner and he knows what it takes to win. I think what he's going to do here is he's going to he's he has his guys and the guys that aren't doing it are going to be shipped out and the guys that want to do it is he knows what it takes to you know for this process to happen and he'll get it <laughs> into that form as soon as possible and if it takes a year but at least we take a step forward in the right direction then I think that's a win for you know, for, for Q and this organization. You know, you look at these teams that won. I mean, look at Ovi. I mean, he's failed and failed and failed and failed. But you can't look. I mean, the guy still has great, you know, personal success. But as a team, he was always going to be judged on how how Washington actually does is right, winning a Stanley Cup. You know, I think now he's made that comment the other day about Toronto. You know, I think Toronto is going to be judged on, you know, taking the next step, you know, into the playoffs. Yeah. When you and build that much talent in one spot, that's right. that's going to be the ultimate judge. Right, for sure. And the expectations rise and it's just everything that comes with pro sports. I think here in Florida, it's no different. You listen around the hockey world, they love Florida. They love what Dale's done. And you can see it kind of coming together right now with points and I believe nine of the last ten. So from one first overall pick to another, we've got Aaron Ekblad here in Florida. You've been able to get a good look at him, and it looks like he's really settling into a role as one of Florida's top defensemen here this season. And you know, what's your take on him? Well, I like Aaron. I mean, obviously in the same area from Bell River. My parents are in Bell River right now, and you know, I think for a defenseman, he's come in and kind of similar. He's had early success, kind of dipped a little bit. Kind of teams kind of figure it out. Um, you see the game, you know, every year that game is rising to another level. So if, if you're not kind of maintaining yourself kind of into that level, you s- tend to slip. And I think there is, and you ask Aaron himself, I, I think there is times where, you know, his game was slipping. He knew it, but it's been a nice rebound for for Aaron. I, th- I think having the right guys, Q, Kitch, kind of in that setting, Mac you know constantly working with him I think as a defenseman it just takes a little bit longer to become that you know and he's kind of in that area right now when early 20s I think mid 20s is kind of you want to be at your kind of peak years and um, he's had early success and but yeah he's had a nice start to the and right nice start to the season for for the Panthers defense just seems like even more than goaltending, it's it's just a longer development process at this level, and it's you don't see that many young defensemen succeeding, just like you'll see young goalies succeeding. Yeah, it's I mean it's a tough position to come in and have success. You look at it now, you look at a guy like Kale McCarr, the guy that I mean the guy skates, he's like a man out there, and so you got these exceptions that are going to come in and have success, and then kind of continue it. Um, I can't think of the the kid in in uh, Boston. Um, college player. Um, anyway, he's he's had a bunch of success. You can look up his name. That can't come to me right now. But you know, for a goaltender, defenseman, I mean, this it's it's a big transition, and um, you get it with experience. And 
each and every year the goal is to take that next step. Speaking of that next step, the last guy I wanted to ask you about is Mike Matheson, um, another young defenseman. It looks like so far before he went down with the with his injury, he was having his best year of his career. Just to not, another guy that took that next step forward, like you were saying. Yeah, you know, I, I think with Mikey, I think what his biggest asset is is his speed. And if you're able to skate and get yourself out of trouble, get back, get the pucks, get the first pa- pass out, you're going to have tons of success. And I think he's starting to figure that out, that it's not always kind of running out of position kind of to make a hit or make a play. I think it's kind of let things come to you. And what I've learned, you know, for me, as and I remember people telling me, you know, Jovo, less is more. Less is more. And you know what? It's still the same concept today. I think once you see something, you see a first pass, make it, get up, follow the play. Um, you know, when you have ice, take it, don't force things. It's hard to tell a young guy with skill, you know, not trying to be creative. And I don't think coaches are taken away from Mikey's creativity. I think when the opportunity is there, be creative. But for the most part, maturity again. I think he's, you know, he's had another year under his belt trying to take that next step. Yeah. Well, Ed, thank you so much for taking so much time and just chatting with us here on the Chirping the Cats podcast. And look forward to hopefully chatting with you again later this year and seeing how the team's doing up until that point. But thank you so much for sitting down with me, man. Yeah, Dave, man, no problem. Chirping the Cats, I like it. Right? Yeah, I like it. You got to go with that alliterative name. Right, I like it. Oh, thanks a lot, boss. All right, bud. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Chirping the Cats podcast. I want to thank my guest, Ed Jovanoski, so much for sitting down with me. What an awesome chat that was. And uh, I'll be back again with the next episode of Chirping the Cats and maybe another Panthers legend coming up. So stay tuned for that. The Panthers have a lot of fun coming up. 17 out of the next 25 games to close out 2019 are going to be at the BB&T Center. I'll be there. I hope you guys are going to come out and support the team as well. So we'll catch you next time on the next episode of Chirping the Cats. See ya. Who's your favorite Florida Panthers? I don't know. Who who has a mustache? Two. And who else is on the Panthers? Yeah, and who else? One more. Who's the goalie? Rob.